Hello, and welcome. I'm Adrienne Barbeau, star of The Fog, Creep Show, Swamp Thing, The Convent, just to name a few. And this is She Kills, a Shudder original podcast where we sit down and discuss all of the things we love about the genre that has given women some of the most iconic roles in film history. I've had a fair amount of experience with psychics and the spirit world. A psychic told me I'd be dating Burt Reynolds two weeks before we met and fell briefly in love. And my grandmother was psychic. She read Turkish coffee grounds and she knew things before they happened. And I'm sure she was responsible for me getting my first job on Broadway, even though it was after she'd passed. From caretakers to demented babysitters to protective mothers to the vessels for evil, a woman's work is never done. Common themes of guilt and sorrow are processed on screen through the trope of female ghosts, but never with male spirits. We called up my friend Dee Wallace, star of Cujo, The Frighteners, and The Howling, and you don't know this, but I do, a couple of roles that she took right out from under me, <laughs> to speak with us about her work within the afterlife, how there are no such things as evil spirits, and her current career in healing. She talked to us from her home in California, amidst the backdrop of a very real horror, the Woolsey Fire, which had just started at the time of this recording. We paired her up with horror fan, host, and showrunner of this very podcast, Blair Bercy. My name is Dee Wallace. I'm an actress. I'm an author. I'm a healer. I'm a speaker. I'm a great mom. <laughs> and I'm Blair Bercy. Um, I'm a host, and I am a producer of this very podcast. Most people vividly remember watching their first horror film, probably through covered eyes. My first horror film was Halloween. I'd never seen anything before that, not even Psycho. And I saw Halloween on the night that John Carpenter, the director, and I announced our engagement. When it was over, my two friends turned to each other and said, we can't let her marry him. Clearly, Halloween made an impact on them. But we were curious to know which horror film made the biggest impact on Blair and Dee. For me, the horror film that had the most impact, and it's also about vengeful spirits, uh, would be Nightmare on Elm Street, specifically Dream Warriors, because it it showed me that horror films can be funny and edgy, and Freddy Krueger probably, I think, has had the most impact on my love of horror, simply because there's no escaping him. He is the big bad that you cannot run from because everybody needs sleep, so Freddy's going to get you regardless of where you are. My first memory of a horror film was not one I particularly <laughs> enjoyed. I I was I was a very squeamish little girl and we were not allowed I was not allowed to watch anything scary. So of course my older brother had to babysit me one night and he put on The Bride of Frankenstein. And um I got to sleep with my brother for two months. <laughs> because he let me. I was certain there were monsters in my big walk-in closet from the minute we moved into the house. Um, no wonder, you know, all those fears transfer really well into my acting into horror films. Um, the the horror film I think that effect, has always affected me the most, well, there's two, The Exorcist 
and a film called Don't Look Now with Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland. And, you know, um, I think it's the, the psychological part of not having control that fears me the most. And um, I'm, I'm watching right now uh, The Haunting of Hill House because Henry Thomas, who, who played Elliot in E.T., is in it. And um, it's freakishly unnerving uh, watching, uh, watching this, this series because it, it combines that psychological weakness, fear, uncertainty with true horror which takes time to create relationships you know i think we're we just got into slasher films and slasher films do not represent true horror films and um so it's interesting that that i do all that on the side as well as a lot of run-of-the-mill films. You know, I have three family films coming out this next year also. But it's always interesting to me that I do the horror films on the horror side and then I also help heal people mm -hmm. or teach people to heal themselves from the fears of themselves and of their lives. So it's an interesting dichotomy in a way, but also just kind of the flip side of the same coin. You know, I'm living in Los Angeles right now, right after the shooting, which was less than two miles from my house in, Cal in um, well, outside of Calabasas. That's a much bigger horror film than what I would have to sit in the theater and help myself get past. So, Dee, I find it so interesting that you've had this huge career from heartfelt films like E.T. to heartfelt films that are freaking terrifying like Cujo. Um, and now with your career in healing and kind of getting people to bridge loss and the afterlife, is there anything that is too scary to watch? Is there a film that is just off limits, too scary, you won't do it? The only movie... That is that I've done that's really, really hard for me to watch and I don't revisit very often is The Hills Have Eyes. Um, yeah. First of all, it has a dog and I love dogs. And of course, Cujo is all about a dog. But Cujo happens to be my favorite film that I've done. But The Hills Have Eyes is just crosses that really gruesome line for me you know I mean I think it's wonderfully done and who knew all those years ago when we were just going oh I got my first part this is so cool that it would still be a cult film that people were asking pictures for you know yeah crazy this business but yeah I would I would have to say it would be that one I, of, of my own film I asked that for that exact reason because I had a friend, I was telling a friend that I was doing the show and we both had the same experience where as much as we love horror, that one is too hard. I wouldn't even watch like any of the remakes or anything about it because after seeing the original, it 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 
that was the worst thing <laughs> that's yeah me. it's I, I don't think i've ever been camping in an rv i just there's a list of things that i will not do because of that movie um of yeah. course for those of you that are really <laughs> frightened from the hills have eyes just picture all of the cast staying in one motorhome <laughs> and the bathroom breaking. Mm. So that'll give you a little insight mm. into, into our own personal hell mm. we went through shooting that. Oof. Um, yeah, that does make it less scary. I will say that's a little fun. It makes it, there, there adds a little humor to that. So we were talking about The Haunting of Hill House earlier. You mentioned that. I finished it. It was wonderful. Um, and that series particularly is just full of vengeful, angry, female, feminine energy and spirits that are here to kind of dismantle and haunt because of what they have been through. So I'm curious to see your take on vengeful female spirits and kind of that anger bring, being brought into the afterlife. You see, this is where the two sides of D come together um, because I know from my healing work that I mean, I talk to people on the other side, guys. So uh, I know that there are no spirits out to get anybody. They're, they're, evil doesn't work that way. Evil comes from uh, being limited in a body and the fears that you create from your own perceptions and focus. Um, energy is just energy, and energy may absolutely try and reach you to communicate with you. I mean, I, I talked to uh, Christopher, my late husband, uh, quite a bit. Um, not like we're talking, but um, he reaches me through music and signs in the house um, yeah. that I know correspond with him. But I know in my heart that there are not energies out there to freak you out or to harm you in any way and that extends into the alien world also okay so then the, my follow-up question with that because i i feel like the representation in film is i can think of ghost maybe for a soothing spirit that kind of makes you feel like gives you a little closure but also that you know the person is there with you. Why is it then that I guess with horror we stick to this, you know, the ghost is the boogeyman all the time. Why is that such an easy, I guess, kind of go-to? Well, I, I think a ghost being a boogeyman is an easy go-to because that's the way it's always been. Mm -hmm. It's the way it's always been. That's the way it's in all the Disney films, right? Mm -hmm. The Headless Horsemen, mm -hmm. you know, they're bad guys. That's... When, and again, anything that is out of our control is a boogeyman. And so what better boogeyman to, to try and go out and fight and conquer than those that we can't see, mm. that we have no control over, mm. that um, we can't reason with, right? And so whatever we plug into within ourselves just grows and grows and grows and, and manifests more fear. We lose more control. So we direct a lot of these fearful things because we're in fear to begin with. Mm -hmm. And we believe in them. And it makes good movies. <laughs> and most of these movies, by the way, 
are done by guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is exactly right. And that brings me to a good point that um, the the fear that the I think this big bad or the big scary thing that, that seems to be the trend now is the vengeful kind of female ghost. Um, the woman that had her kids wrongfully taken away from her or killed or was blamed for something that she didn't do or was told that she was crazy and or a witch. Um, and that's been the big bad. It seems slightly empowering to see kind of these big scary female characters, but at the same time, why is it always, the representation is always of somebody that had to go through this horrible trauma. You know that. Well, because I I think guys, the the principle that love conquers all eludes most men. Uh. Uh, you know they're taught to go to war. Uh -huh. They're taught to fight for their woman, pull out their gun. Um, you know it's it's very connected to their dicks, really. <laughs> I feel like for these movies to work, there has to be authenticity to the fear. There has to be something real. There has to be some realness to it all. Uh, similar to, I know everyone has brought up uh, throughout the show, Shelley Duvall in The Shining. For many reasons, her fear is palpable and believable and real. So my question to you is, as an actress, where do you pull from her? How do you kind of craft that authenticity to something that could seem on paper kind of flimsy or not believable? My purpose as an actress is to always make the character authentic. Mm -hmm. I won't do it. I won't do a character if she's not, if they don't allow me to do her that way. And yeah, I've, I've fought a lot. I said, yeah, uh, I know you, you need more nude people in the howling, but <laughs> I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I, know the foreign investors want a bunch of women hanging over the banisters with bare breasts but i have it in my contract that no additional nudity would be added and that's why uh -huh. and um you know also i have to say like when i looked at cujo i didn't look at cujo as a horror film ever i looked at Cujo and especially my part as um, as the portrayal of a mother mm -hmm. who would do anything to save her kid, mm -hmm. anything. And I can tell you, I did it before I was a mother. And now that I am a mother, I would not play one moment of that differently. Um, I would do anything to save my kid, anything. And I, I think most mothers identify with that. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a part in E.T. where, uh, sorry, in Cujo, where, you know, Danny's screaming, I want my daddy, I want my daddy. And I grab him and I say, all right, I'll get you your father, right? And Dan Blatt, our incredible producer, came to me and he said, Dee, we saw the dailies and I want you to look at this scene because we're afraid that people won't like you if we include this scene. And I went in and watched it and looked at him and I said, Dan, if you take this scene out, you're crazy. There's not a parent in the world 
who hasn't been at that brink mm-hmm. of I'm going to slap the shit out of you because I can't help you. That, yeah, that's absolutely true. That my mom, once again, my mom doesn't do horror, has seen Cujo, and I think it resonated with her just as a mother, as somebody who, you know, adopted a daughter and really wanted a child, that that movie is about yeah. uh, the, the will and the persistence and uh, what things that you can do when you know that this is life or death. Okay. Okay. Oh my God. The the power and the love and the energy that you can call on which I've, I know from raising my own daughter, um, you know, Christopher, my husband, her dad died right before she turned seven. And um, it's a lot of responsibility. And I, I have people come up to me all the time and go, oh my God, Dee, you know, we loved Cujo when we were little and now we've seen it after we're parents. It's a whole different movie. <laughs> I look forward to getting there because I, I can completely relate and see that. Um, you spoke about putting your foot down and saying no to certain things and part of it being within your contract. How did you learn, I guess, through experience, through the industry to kind of be the voice for those deal breakers for yourself? How did you kind of find your voice within that? Because I know a lot of actresses kind of feel like they have to acquiesce to certain things because the director asked or the studio asked. I did not learn to speak up for myself through this business. I was taught to always be true to what I thought the truth was by my very own powerful mother who was a single mother. The mother figure, the female figure, has always, through history, represented the divine, the the love, the tenderness, the caring. And there's nothing more frightening than thinking that can be taken over by evil. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we use women more than we use men because let's face it a lot of guys are assholes in real life (laughs) we've seen it you know i mean a lot of you are lovely loving tender guys but as far as history is concerned the guys always have been um well the the less loving nurturing Mm -hmm. of Uh, of the species. Okay, so we've been talking about a lot of the classics that I love. This is slightly off topic because I just have a personal question for you. Um, Are there any new movies that you find kind of represent what you love about horror, what you love about the genre, or just are fun to watch? Is there anything that kind of you really enjoy? 
I think one of the most brilliant horror films that we've had recently is A Quiet Place. And again, you, you see very little horror in that movie, mm-hmm. but you see the people being horrified mm-hmm. about something that they can't see and you can't see and you don't know why they're so fearful. And that that's a real tribute to the performances and to the writing and direction of creating that tension without, I mean, you go back to Jaws, three-fourths of the picture, you didn't see the, you know, you didn't see the monster, mm-hmm. right? Um, but just like the music, da-dum, da-dum, it's mm-hmm. coming, it's coming, you know it's coming, everybody's getting more afraid, it's coming, there's something big out there. And again, it's the unknown, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What we, I mean, if we could ever, what's the word? If we could ever conquer our fear of the unknown by knowing that we are always in control of our own creation, things wouldn't be so scary. As soon as you open the scary door to the closet and you see nothing's there, the fear goes away because you've taken control. The first time, you know, you go out to do a public speaking event and you, you know, Nike doesn't pay me, but feel the fear and do it anyway, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just do it. Then the fear goes away and you go, what the hell? (laughs) What was I so like, freaked out about you know if there's anything i would attribute to my success and longevity it's it's what we've been touching on is that i just want to keep creating as long as i'm creating something i'm happy and i'm peaceful and i feel like i'm in control of my life when i stop creating and start waiting for other people to create that's when the fear and panic starts to set in. And, you know, I often get um, the question, well, yeah, but, you know, Dee, you're an older woman in the business now. (laughs) And I just have to laugh at myself, like, but you see, again, those are, that's what we've been taught, is the older you get, the less you create. That's what's expensive of you by our society and it's bullshit it's just bullshit that's when you want to start creating more um how can i keep myself alive how can i keep myself excited about this life that i still have 20 or 30 years left to live um what can i give where can i create what can i write where can i perform Uh, What can I do? How can I expand my healing practice? You know, um, I, I think if all of us could just keep asking ourselves, where's the monster? Take him out for a beer, sit him down, talk to him and tell him we're in charge and get him on board with playing with us 
in whatever we want to create in our lives now. Mm -hmm. But now my mental image just immediately went to like you taking a monster out, like Michael Myers and you just, you know, having a beer, talking. Well, it makes it a little less scary, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely does. He'd probably prefer a Bloody Mary, but uh. <laughs> well, Kathy Bates plays a lot of those roles. Mm -hmm. um, I love to watch her as an actress. I love right now, I love to watch Viola Davis. I mean, she's evil. <laughs> she's evil. But you love her because she always shows you the humanity in that evilness, you know, which is what we've done with guys for a long, long, long time. Uh, yes, I love Viola Davis. I live for Viola Davis. She is absolutely everything. Um, I'm obsessed with How to Get Away with Murder, but also just saw Widows. And she is really good. Her and that little white dog pretty much held that movie down. So, yes, I would love to see Viola Davis in a horror film. That would that would really complete everything because she is one of those characters that are so good at being so bad. And watching her is just like a master class in how to make really bad people really lovable and likable. Yeah, she's a great example because she's strong and ballsy and sexy and powerful mm -hmm. and yet you understand her humanity mm -hmm. and what drives her to be doing these things in every role she plays. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the new one about the widows. Oh, that um, but I will go see it just because she's in it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, she's a good example of somebody that is unapod unapologetically powerful, and I enjoy that because even throughout the moments where her characters break down, that strength is still there. So you still want to root for her, even though you know she's probably damaging many people's lives by playing everybody. It's just you just still want her to win. Um, what do you think... Because that's a good kind of jumping off point because that character is very new, the kind of anti-hero hero, um, especially for women of color and on television. What do you think the future of horror is for, I guess, women within the genre? Open wide. <laughs> I, th I, think, I think horror is open wide for women now. Women directors, women, you know performers. Um, I mean, I never had more fun in my life than killing everybody in the Frighteners. Mm. You know, um, and what was beautiful in the Frighteners was I got to play this simpy, kind of ugly victim character that turned into this ball buster killer. I mean, what actress doesn't want to play a part like that, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really drawn to strong women characters. I, I have a wonderful little film called uh, Red Christmas that's out um, DVD and all, all those places that you get films. <laughs> and um, I wanted to do it because it was that kind of character, because she had done some unscrupulous things um, in her life around, it's quite an interesting horror film that deals with abortion issues and mm. stuff. And, but she becomes, 
this this tyrant that again defends her family uh, against all odds and and yet you forgive her for what she's done early in earlier in her life because you understand what her motives were mm. that she just couldn't do something and and that's real you know there are women that just can't have down's children and there are women that that can't afford another child and and have an abortion and you know the the judgment that we hold toward each other has just got to freaking stop because we're driving ourselves into our own living horror film through all of this judgment toward each other instead of going okay doesn't work for me if it works for you you know god bless you i'll deal with somebody else but you go live your life i just don't get it why everybody these days thinks that they have to come in and direct everybody else's film <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, the way they live. Mm-hmm. It's, it ain't going to work. And that's our biggest horror film that we're living right now. And that's also another piece of good advice. You don't let, don't let people just come in and direct your film. It's not their life. It's not their, their and, kind of story to tell. And don't you go direct theirs. True. That is absolutely true. Stay in your lane is a great lesson. Um, I also am so happy you mentioned The Frighteners because that's another movie that I feel like is underrated because of the balance in absolute terror, but also the laughter. Like, um, Chai, I think this is Chai McBride's character. Um, just there's levity within it, but it gets very scary when it gets scary. So I'm happy. Um, I love The Frighteners. Yeah. And one of the reasons that it didn't make it at the time was it was supposed to come out at Halloween Mm. where it would have made it. Mm -hmm. But there was some other big blockbuster movie that wasn't finished. And so Universal threw it in with all the summer blockbusters and it got lost. It's such an underrated movie that's so good. It is. Um, Yeah, and I own it on VHS and DVD. Good for you, baby. (laughs) I love, yeah. And I think I saw it that summer. I probably went to the theater because it was just, I I was blown away. Um, And that's a really good example of comedy in horror within an actual horror film. Um, Yes. I love it. And everybody's performance. Jake does a good job. Uh, You know, Michael J. Fox is wonderful. You are absolutely terrifying. So I... Thank you. It's a really good film. And Jeff... Jeff Combs, uh, Jeffrey Combs. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, oh my God, that performance from Jeffrey Combs. Uh, you know, it's like I, whenever I see Jeffrey, I go, "Where did that come from? <laughs> Tell me again. <laughs> How you put that all together? I mean, it's like, woo." <laughs> You got, do you know those questions where you don't want to go too far because you're like, how did that, where, where does that come from within your brain? Where does that, where does all yeah. that, where do you pull from? Well, I asked, you know, Peter Jackson that. Mm-hmm. I said, where the hell do all these, if you've seen any of his early films, La La Land. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just had to be in La La. And you know, Peter is one of the dearest, kindest, sweetest men I've ever worked with and I've I've 
been blessed. I mean, Blake Edwards, oh my God. I often say I started at the top, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, what a beautiful, beautiful man. Joe Dante, um, just uh, Louis Teague. I mean, you know, Louis came in three days into the shooting of Cujo mm. and, um, and picked it up and just turned out a miraculous product. Yeah. And, and everybody that you've mentioned in all those works are long-lasting, and I, I feel like there has to be something about the balance of kind of the energy and work ethic and that everything that everybody brought to the table because there's a reason why they've, they've stuck around um, for all this time. Well, yeah, I, I think it's, it's respect. They respect everyone that they work with. They respect your ideas. They encourage you. Um, to bring in your best ideas. Rob Zombie, I, I have three from hell coming out for Rob Zombie. He's the same way. What's it like working he, with him? Oh, my God, I adore Rob. He's the nicest, sweetest guy. And just, I mean, just open to anybody's suggestions. And, uh, you know, he'll kind of look at you and go, yeah, okay, go for it. And if it doesn't work, we go for something else. But to have a director like that, that that trusts you and encourages you, and it's just, it makes the shooting of the movie so much more exciting um, because you feel like you're really participating. Um, so we are wrapping up. We are almost done. Is there anything that I missed? Is there anything that you want to tell us about why you love being an actress? Is there anything that you want to, people to ask you that they never ask well, you? <laughs> you know, I, I love being an actress because I think actors are some of the greatest healers in the world. We give people permission to cry when they can't, laugh when they won't. Um, be frightened and be safe and work through their stuff. Uh, we teach them, we enlighten them. We touch more people doing one movie than a doctor can heal in a lifetime. Um, I can tell you stories and stories and stories of people that have come up to me about ET and how their lives have been drastically changed by the shift in their lives from watching that movie. Uh, like a, a, a mom with an autistic little boy, never heard him speak for 10 years. And she took him to see the re-release and on the way home he started saying every line E.T. had said. Now that's, I, you know, she said to me, Dee, you're part of a miracle. Oh, that is a wonderful story, and it goes with such a wonderful movie. I know personally for me, E.T. was so important because I think that was the very first time I saw a single mom that looked like my single mom, not in peril, not kind of abusive. There was no negative connotation. She was just doing her best within this crazy situation. So I'm so happy that such a wonderful story goes with such a wonderful movie, and we can include it in the show today. Thank you so much for that. We have a mandatory evacuation. Okay. I'm sorry, we're going to have to go. We have to evacuate. 
Oh, just heard that. Okay, so the fires are spreading. You guys have to evacuate. Thank you so much for your time today and your insight and your wisdom and everything that you've given us, Dee. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and be safe. And if I ever meet you in person, I'm going to give you the biggest hug. My arms will be open, babe. (laughs) Thanks, Dee and Blair. I'm pleased to report that Dee and her family are safe and her home was spared from the fire that damaged so much of Calabasas and the coast. I agree with Dee that spirits aren't bad. In fact, they can be quite benevolent. When my mother was dying, she was in the hospital and I spent the night in her room. The room was extremely cold. My mother had a fever, she was sweating. They had the AC on as high as it could go. There was a fan blowing on her. I was in my jeans and a sweatshirt and a jacket over that, and I think I had a robe on over that, sleeping on the cot next to my mom with a blanket on me and freezing. And my mother, in her sleep, started to call out for her mother, my grandmother. And my first thought was, oh, shall I wake her? Is she in pain? If I wake her, will she feel more pain? Uh, Shall I just let her sleep? What shall I do? And I opened my eyes, and at the foot of the bed was my grandmother. And all of the sudden, the room, it was like someone had taken a fleece blanket and just lowered it on the entire room, on me, on my mother. The room got warm, and I was filled with the knowledge, really, that everything was going to be okay for my mom, that my grandmother was there. I could see her as clear as day, and that she was going to be there when my mom passed over. So, yes, Dee, you're right. As far as I'm concerned, you're right. I'm Adrienne Barbeau, and this has been She Kills, a Shudder original podcast, executive produced by Blair Bercy, Killian Van Rensler, Jordana Freyberg, and Deborah Henderson, hosted by Adrienne Barbeau, associate produced by Nancy Himmel, supervising producer Cara Frias, featuring interviews with Dee Wallace and Blair Bercy, sound recording, design, and mixing by Iceman Audio. Production sound mixing and re-recording mixing by Evan Menick. Supervising sound editing and re-recording mixing by Michael Capuano. Composed by Doug Bossy. Music by iSpy Music. Production manager, Kay Tinder. Production legal, Jordan Rock. Production accounting, Stephen D. Smith. For Shudder, Owen Shiflett, Robin Jones, and Nicholas Lazo. She Kills. The characters and events depicted in this podcast are fictional. Any similarity to any actual person living or dead, or to any actual events, firms, places, and institutions, or other entities, is coincidental and unintentional. This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries, and its unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability and criminal prosecution. Country of first publication, United States of America. She Kills. Copyright 2018. Digital Store, LLC. All rights reserved.